Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic q and I'm Dr. Sanj Kakar. As students prepare to go back to school, whether in person, online, or a combination of both, students and staff know that things will be different due to COVID-19. What precautions can help kids go back safely to school? Here to discuss back to school recommendations is Mayo Clinic pediatric infectious disease expert, Dr. Napuni Rajapaksi. Dr. Napuni Rajapaksi, thanks for joining us again today. Thanks for having me back. So, simple question, how should parents decide uh, whether to send their children back to school or do uh, uh, online uh, education? So this is a, a really challenging thing that I think all parents are grappling with, with right now. Um, unfortunately, it's not, not simple and there's a lot of different uh, factors to weigh and consider as parents try and make the decision that is best for their own child and their own family. Um, I think there's multiple layers to think about here. One kind of starting at the, the biggest layer, which is what is going on in your community right now. Um, we have uh, variable transmission occurring county by county, even within our state, and definitely a lot of variability across the country um, as to areas that are seeing significant amounts of ongoing transmission and some areas that have things under better control. And so I think that's a really important part of the equation uh, to take into account when making this decision. Going down to the next level, I think it's really important to know what your local school um, is planning and what your local school infrastructure is. Um, there have been many recommendations uh, made by organizations like the CDC or the American Academy of Pediatrics about strategies we can use to try and keep our children and uh, staff as safe as possible in the school setting. And so it will be really important to know what is being implemented in, in your child's school um, and what the plans are in the event, which is is likely to happen at some point across all of our school systems um, in the event that someone does test positive within the school. Going down to a more specific level, I think then you have to think about your own family and who is within your family and what the uh, illness risk is within your family. So we have many uh, families that live in multi-generational households. Um, there may be grandparents within that home and we know that the elderly are at higher risk for developing more uh, severe illness or uh, disease if they do get infected. And so I think that's an important uh, consideration along with whether other family members have underlying health conditions that would put them at high risk if they were exposed. And then you get down to the, the child themselves. I think there's a lot of specific um, educational needs that children have. Um, some of whom did not have those needs met by virtual options. And so I think that's an important consideration along with any um, underlying health conditions your own old child may have, which may increase their risk for being more likely to develop a, a symptomatic or severe illness if they were to get infected. So that's a lot of different things um, for parents to be thinking about and weighing. I think um, thankfully they don't need to make all of these decisions uh, necessarily themselves, there will be guidance from your local public health officials, your local schools, and for anyone who has underlying conditions, um, definitely would encourage them to speak with their own physicians who know their family and their child well, um, to give you a, a sense of what the risks may be in your particular situation and help you to uh, navigate some of these challenging questions and decisions. Yeah, it's, it, you're right on in terms of it's a multifactorial process and decision-making. And you make a good point about the family and also the students, but also the teachers. So in general, what recommendations do you ever have about how staff and students can keep themselves safe should they decide to go back to school? 
So I think that teachers are a really critical part of, of this decision and the decision making around opening of schools. If you think about all of the people who are present in a school setting and their risk of developing a severe illness, uh, teachers or the adults in the school setting are really the highest risk group. And so I think their input and uh, their involvement with these decisions is really important going forward. Um, there are things that teachers can do to keep themselves uh, safe. So certainly things like uh, wearing a mask we are uh, advocating for as one of the most effective ways to reduce transmission, especially in indoor settings or in settings where physical distancing is difficult to do. If teachers are teaching children who are not able to wear masks especially, then addition of things like uh, eye protection become uh, even more important. Um, I think special attention needs to be paid to what is happening around mealtimes. Mealtimes are a high risk period of time because people have to remove their masks to eat. And so ensuring that space is available for teachers to physically distance, which becomes even more critically important when you're not wearing a mask, um, will be really important for, for schools to think about and, and plan around. Um, probably the highest risk in school settings will be transmission between adults. And so putting measures in place to decrease the opportunities for that to happen will be an important part. Um, that's along with all the other things that we've been advocating, including excellent hand washing, cleaning of high touch surfaces, all of these different strategies need to be used together because none of them alone is 100% protective. And so it's really all these layers of different things that will help to keep our teachers and our students safe in a school setting. Yeah, you make a good point in terms of, you know, how grateful we are to our teachers. And obviously there's things that they, they can control. But what about the children? So for example, let's say you have multiple children who are younger, uh, wearing masks, they have siblings, should they share masks with siblings? Should they be washing the masks every day? Uh, what are your thoughts there about the children? Yeah, so masking uh, and kids is a really great, great topic. I think there are things that we can do to help children, especially young children, uh, become accustomed to wearing a mask. So we recommend uh, masks for anyone over two years of age, um, aside from anyone who would have difficulty removing the mask themselves if needed. So for example, children with uh, underlying neurologic conditions that would prevent them from being able to remove the mask um, would be an example of that. Um, otherwise, uh, definitely there's things that uh, parents and families can start doing, and I would encourage them if they haven't already started to start doing this early um, to help get kids used to wearing a mask and uh, interested in wearing a mask in a school setting. So with kids, uh, having them involved in choosing the mask, choosing the color of the mask or a pattern or their favorite character on the mask can make their acceptance of the mask more likely um, if they like it. If the mask is not comfortable, they probably will not wear it. And so making sure that you have a variety of masks and that they've tried them on before you send them off to school um, and that the mask fits well. So properly covering both their nose and their mouth and uh, going underneath the chin um, will be really important. It's important to talk to kids about mask wearing. It's important to role model good mask wearing as adults and parents as well. Um, and especially things like how to safely put on and take off your masks. So uh, just touching the ear loops and not touching the front of the mask or the back of the mask if you're removing it. 
ensuring you wash your hands before and after handling your mask at any time. And especially when it comes to kids, just reminding them that they shouldn't be sharing masks with their friends, they shouldn't be trading masks, uh, making sure that their masks are labeled with their name or initial so that they can easily identify it. Um, and masks should be washed at the end of, of each day and a new mask should be used each day. And certainly if they become wet or visibly soiled, they should be be uh, cleaned and a new mask should be used. So making sure your child has a backup mask available um, in their backpack or at their desk um, at school will be really important as well. You, you mentioned hand washing. And so for children, should it be soap and water? Should it be these uh, gels that you can get? What would you recommend? Because obviously, especially the younger children, their skin can be a little bit sensitive. Yeah, so either soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub are um, adequate for hand hygiene. Uh, we know that this virus is easily inactivated um, or removed from the surface of the hands by both methods. So kids are more likely to use what is easily available to them. And so both options should be provided and whichever um, is most convenient at the time can be used. Um, it is important and I think good to do a refresher before they return to school on how to properly wash your hands. So at least 20 seconds um, with soap and water or uh, it should take at least 20 seconds for your hands to feel dry if you're using alcohol-based hand rub um, and uh, walk through the steps of that with your with your child so that they're, they're aware and um, remember all the steps to do it properly. So we, we've got the children in school and they're learning but as you know part of the school is about the extracurricular activities. What are the risks involved about playing sport or doing other activities such as band or choir or even the theatre? So extracurricular activities are, are so important to childhood development. They're so important to developing new skills and developing character amongst our children and our students. So I can't uh, overestimate estimate their kind of importance. Um, but there are unique risks associated with them as well. So if you take something like sports, um, obviously there's a variety of sports, but um, we would uh, worry most about risk of transmission in sports where there's close contact. So if you think about uh, sports like basketball or wrestling or rugby, those types of sports, um, you have children who are in close contact with each other. And when you have that situation, the risk of transmission is higher. It's also uh, quite difficult to do strenuous sports while wearing a mask. And so that may or may not be possible for many of those types of sports. And you add an additional layer of risk if you uh, cannot wear a mask in those situations. So I think we really need to think uh, carefully about what the uh, main priorities are, which I think at least initially will be instructional time for students. Um, and then if we're able to achieve those things safely, start to add back some of these other activities, which are certainly very important, um, but also need to be guided by the amount of transmission we're seeing and how successful we are in keeping the rates of transmission down. Other uh, extracurricular activities outside of sports, so things like uh, choir practice, we know that uh, early on there were some outbreaks that were linked to um, choirs, uh, usually when they were singing in uh, indoor setting um, and in close proximity to each other. So there certainly are any time you're speaking loudly or singing, uh, more droplets that are produced. Um, and we know that this infection is primarily spread by respiratory droplets. And so um, there are things that can be done, such as doing choir practice outdoors and having kids spaced out uh, at least six feet um, to decrease the risks, um, but we'll have to be a bit creative uh, when we're looking at activities like that as well. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, as you said, this is not something we've been a witness before. And so, as you say, learning to think outside of the box is, is critical. A good example is choir practice outdoors. So obviously, we, we're trying to do our best to keep our kids safe. 
but let's say they get exposed to somebody with COVID-19. What should they do? What should their parents be doing uh, to keep them safe now if they may have potentially been exposed? So that's a great question. And I think um, most people are saying, and I agree with this, that it is somewhat inevitable that we will have cases that appear within the schools once we reopen them. I think it would be naive to think that we're going to get through this school year without any um, exposures or cases. And so certainly this is something that uh, schools and families should be aware of what the plan is um, in advance if this were to happen. Um, it is important to understand uh, kind of what the t exposure was. So incidental exposures such as walking past someone in a hallway that may test positive, those would be low risk scenarios and the recommendations in that situation would be different than if you had spent uh, more than 15 minutes of time within six feet of someone who tested positive, which is one of the current uh, CDC exposure definitions. And so it's really important to uh, know and understand what the level of exposure was to guide a patient or family um, as to what to do. If we do think that the exposure was um, high risk, uh, generally we would recommend quarantining or not uh, returning to a school setting uh, during the incubation period of the virus, which is the time that it would take to develop symptoms if you were infected, um, which is uh, 14 day, two to 14 days. Um, and so I think it's important for people to know kind of what is uh, being recommended uh, locally. Some of these recommendations may vary depending on, on where you are and the nature of the exposure and the amount of uh, transmission going on in your community. But those are some of the general things we would think about when approaching a situation like that. So as you said, the incubation period is, is 14 days. Should, apart from staying home, should they get tested? So uh, testing is a little bit of a, a complicated uh, answer, I would say. It will depend on the situation. It'll depend on the person and whether they have underlying um, health risks that uh, we may recommend that they be tested for. Certainly, if they were to develop symptoms, that may be a situation where you would recommend they, they get tested. Um, but that I would look to kind of your local local guidance um, as the best place to, to get that recommendation from. Okay. And then as one goes into the, the fall and the winter, obviously other illnesses come along, such as, for example, the flu. What's your advice about the flu shot? Every year we're, we're told we should get the flu shot. Is that something you think we should do, hold off on this year? So this year the flu shot is uh, as important, if not more important than in previous years. Um, we know that in children, uh, the symptoms of influenza caused by influenza virus, the symptoms of COVID-19 um, can be indistinguishable, which means you can't look at someone and say they've got the flu or they've got COVID-19. And so whatever we can do to reduce the incidence of flu and the transmission of flu within our communities this year will be critically important. Um, that includes a vaccine, which is one of the most uh, effective ways to reduce the risk of uh, getting influenza, but maybe even more importantly, having serious illness associated with, with influenza. And so we're definitely recommending this year anyone over six months of age should receive the flu vaccine. Um, but in addition to that, we've seen over the last few months that uh, routine childhood immunizations amongst children have decreased over the course of this pandemic. And that has put us in a situation where we're at risk for having outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases like measles or whooping cough occur um, and especially worrisome in the setting where you're going to bring uh, children back to classroom settings and so I would strongly encourage 
families to reach out to their primary care providers before any child returns to a school setting to ensure that their routine vaccines are all up to date before they do that as well, um, just so that we're not dealing with um, additional outbreaks of preventable uh, illnesses on top of what we're already expecting to be a difficult respiratory season ahead. Yeah, thank you for making that very important point. So let's say the, the child has the flu shot, but as you said, the symptoms of COVID-19 and influenza are pretty similar. Even if they've had the flu shot and then they get symptoms, are you then still advising to go back into the quarantine of two weeks before going back to school, for example? So I think the recommendations are going to vary on a somewhat case-by-case -case basis um, and based on test results and whether the child tests positive for influenza or if they test positive for, for COVID-19, the, the recommendations might vary. But I think the uh, foundation of the recommendation is that anyone who is ill should not be, be going to school, whether a student or a staff member. Um, we really need everyone to take on that responsibility, um, even for what might seem like a mild illness in a child, like a runny nose or a sore throat. Um, that could be COVID-19. We know most children are either asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. And so we need to take those seriously and keep kids home if they are unwell. Um, that's not to say that is uh, without challenge for parents who are trying to return to work also. And so I think we really need to um, have uh, support in place for parents to make those right decisions uh, to keep their kids home and not be punished by employers or otherwise um, for uh, calling in for, for time off themselves. I think that's really important as a society that we get behind that um, because without that, um, the chances we'll be able to have longevity to our school reopening will be, will be small. That's yeah, a great point, Dr. Rajapaksi. I mean, it's, it's easier said than done at times, but I appreciate you making that comment. Uh, Napuni, anything else that we want to add that we uh, haven't talked about? I think it's just uh, really important going forward here. These are very challenging decisions that people are having to make to weigh lots of different factors. Um, the right decision for one family may be different for another family. So I think it's important for us to be kind and respectful of that. Um, and I think it's going to be important for people to be flexible. However, we start off the school year will not be how we end it potentially. Um, and I think we need to have backup plans in place if schools end up needing to close. We need to have um, supports in place for parents and families in that event. Um, and I think schools need to have plans in place to know before we even open the doors kind of how we're going to monitor the situation, how we're going to react to situations where someone tests positive. Um, and I think it's really going to be a big, big team effort uh, to do this uh, for our kids and to do this uh, as safely as possible in the current environment. Uh, thanks to Mayor Clinic Pediatric Infectious Disease Expert Dr. Napuni Rajapaksi for sharing recommendations on how to safely return to school. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.